The scripture reading for today is Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is God's word. You may be seated. As you're getting your outlines out, just a reminder to all the guys that um, this Tuesday over in the Fellowship Hall at noon, we're going to have our monthly men's prayer luncheon. Cost is $5 for all the uh, pizza you can and salad and dessert that you can eat. It's a great time of fellowship. We always try to get you out of there by, by uh, a little bit before one so that you can make it back to work. But as your minister, I, I really encourage you to be a part of it. It's, uh, it is a great time to connect in the middle of the week, uh, to spend some time with some guys. Uh, John Skipworth and uh, uh, David Welch are, are leading this, uh, this, uh, the, the men's ministry, and, and John, uh, as a shepherd, is, uh, is, is leading this luncheon. And uh, we really appreciate you to be, be there to, to join in with the prayer, to join in with the fellowship. Well, we're also in a series on the Psalms this summer. There's a fellow by the name of Dallas Willard, uh, by way of repetition, a fellow by the name of Dallas Willard that says, if you want to know about the nature of God, the nature of faith, and the nature of life, then read the Psalms. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, really famous Old Testament scholar out on the East Coast, says the same basic kind of thing about the Psalms and how important they are to the, the formation of our life as disciples of Jesus. He says, that the Psalms are about life. The Psalms are unabashedly about life as it is lived on this planet. Number two, that life is not always easy. Sometimes that life is a delight and sometimes it is the complete opposite. But then the third thing he says is that the Psalms teach us how to talk to God about it. How to pray. How to have a conversation with God when your heart is breaking and how to thank God when it's not for the beauty and the blessing and all of those things that he provides for us every day when he brings those into our life. And so we're going to look at Psalm 121 and we're going to begin with a word of prayer and then we're going to jump right into this text. Father, there are times when all of us are tempted to lift our eyes and to see nothing but the mountains. Our prayer, Father, is that we are a people in our convictions about your presence who will continually learn to look beyond the mountains to the one who made both heaven and earth and everything in between. So, Father, as we think about these words and meditate on them this morning. 
We ask that you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear in order to be blessed by these words that come to us through your Spirit and from your heart. And this we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 121 has one of those funny little titles at the very top, at the very beginning of the psalm. It's referred to as a song of ascent. The songs of ascent are the Psalms 120 to 134 that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, No one is absolutely, without any doubt, sure what the songs of ascent are. But the best minds over the years, and, and I would agree with them, that the songs of ascent describe exactly what they are. Many believe that these songs or these psalms were sung as Hebrew pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem for the three great festivals that God commanded them to attend. We read about them in Exodus chapter 23, Deuteronomy chapter 16. They were called the songs of ascent because Jerusalem was the highest city in Israel, the highest city in Palestine. The elevation of Jerusalem, the old city Jerusalem, was about 2,500 feet above sea level. And as pilgrims would would come, mainly from the north, they would come down usually through that path that would lead down through the Jordan River. They'd get to Jericho, and then they would turn back to the west, and they would travel the 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho was about 850 feet below sea level. And so over that 18 miles, the ascent, the incline, the grade was about two-thirds of a mile over, over the, that 18-mile trek, that 18-mile road. And as people were leaving Jericho, they would begin this ascent up into the hills and into Mount Moriah, Mount uh, Zion, where they would come to the temple of God and they would worship him. It was a literal ascent. But it was also a metaphor. The trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upward toward God and to God. These are people who had been redeemed out of their slavery in Exodus. They had been formed into a nation at Sinai. They had been preserved for 40 years while they wandered around the desert. And as a people of God, they were regularly making their way to Jerusalem to worship God. And as they did, they sang these psalms, these songs of ascent along the way. They were, if we were to put it in maybe, if they were being written today, they would be called the playlist to Jerusalem or the playlist for disciples. And as every, you know, I have a couple of playlists. I have a playlist that in, involves uh, Pink Floyd. I have a playlist that involves Montavani, the, the two extremes. Um, these playlists are, are things, they're, they're the collection of songs that are dear to us, that may have some emotional connection to us or remind us of experiences. That's what these songs of ascent were. They were a playlist reminding these pilgrims that a life of faith requires, for instance, Psalm 120, the first of the Song of Sent, that choosing God in repentance was at the very beginning of life as a disciple. That as a life of disciple, as they were getting ready to go up to Jerusalem to worship God, Psalm 122 would be about true worship. I rejoiced when those who were with me said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122. In Psalm 126, 
It's about the joy that life with God is not a drag. Life with God is not, is not a drag. It's, it's not an anvil on our desires, but there's actually a joy that is attached to live in the presence of God all of life. In Psalm 133, kind of going towards the end of the songs of Ascent, it's how God loves fellowship and community among the people who recognize him as their father. And he talks about the beauty of the oil that would run down Aaron's hair and his beard down into the cloaks of his clothing and how beautiful that was. And maybe we'll talk about that somewhere down the future. But it was about community and it was about fellowship with God's people. You get the idea. It's, it's a playlist as they were getting ready to worship. Which brings us to Psalm 121, which is probably the best known of the songs of ascent and the best loved. And it teaches us a couple of things. The first is, is that humans can't do it on their own. That humans need help. That there are options out there about where we find that help. And then it points us to see an assurance that, that blesses our lives. I, I want to begin, though, by pushing your attention up here to the screen where you see uh, a mouse with a helmet. And I want you to think for just a moment what the caption, you know, the New Yorker does this all the time at the back page of the New Yorker. There's always cartoons. You figure out what the caption is. Take a second to figure out what you think the caption might be. The caption actually is this. This is me getting ready to make the same bad choice, but also being a little more prepared from the last time it backfired. <laughs> it seems humans are destined to make the same kind of mistakes over and over and over again. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to the hazards that we encounter in life. You know what that definition of insanity is, right? That we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over, and we expect different results. Let me give you a different definition for um, sanity, spiritual sanity, or spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is learning to be competent. It's learning to be competent in all the challenges where the end result is a better version of ourselves. Now the ultimate biblical example is the faithfulness of Christ on the cross, meeting the convergence of the worst of humanity and the ugliest of humanity, but it results in the beauty of the resurrection. Humans experience moments in life that can only be described as brokenness. And those moments are inevitable. It will come to all of us. The degrees of brokenness may be different, but it comes to all of us. Those moments are inevitable. But there is a way for the brokenness through faithfulness to lead to beauty. That that brokenness through a life of faithfulness lived to God can lead to beauty. Not derail, but turn us into a better version of ourselves. But for that to happen, my friends, we need assistance. And that's where this psalm begins, that humans need help. I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Psalmist is traveling along. He realizes that to be away from home and on the road can be a very dangerous and a very scary place. 
Roads in the ancient world could be very dangerous. There were thieves, there were robbers. There was all manner of bad men. If you got sick on the road, some illness hit you away from home in an inhospitable environment, it could be fatal. There weren't um, Circle K's and Valero stores and Shell stores. Running out of food on the road was a reality and a possibility. Lousy weather. One minute you're walking in a wadi, the next minute you're in a flash flood. The psalmist identifies three very real dangers to him while he's on the road. He says, one danger is slippage. You might slip, fall. You might injure yourself, hit the stones the wrong way. He says in verse 3, God will not let your foot slip. He says, you might experience the sun sapping all of your strength. Out there in the sun, maybe not a lot of water to hydrate with. Walking and walking and walking. Maybe there's not a whole lot of shade. Heat exhaustion. Heat stroke. You drop down in verse 6, and he makes reference to the sun not harming by day. Well, it, it's not just you know, physical injury, and it may not be something from the sun, but what about something emotional? Get out on the road, you become anxious, you become overwrought emotionally, which in the ancient world would have been attributed to the moon and called lunacy. And in that same verse, he says, nor the moon by night will bring any harm to you. Well, we don't live in that world, but we live in a world where we recognize that travel in the modern world can be equally hazardous. When your children head off to college or maybe you know, they've been home for a visit, they're going back to their hometown, what is the first thing as a parent you say to them as they're walking out that door? Make sure you text when you get there what? Safely. Does anyone travel I-35 without a little bit of nervousness? Why do our brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters, ask for traveling graces when they travel away from home? When you're driving along and you see someone driving and their head is down, what does it usually mean? Not that they're asleep, but they're texting. Why do we have to get to the airport early these days? It's because we have to go through TSA security checks because of the reality of terrorism. And for some, driving at night or in inclement weather means staying home rather than getting out. Realizing the inherent dangers in travel leads to admitting one of the most basic and one of the first teachings of the Bible. And that is, humans were never meant to travel alone, especially spiritually speaking. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. In, in Genesis 1 and 2, as in this psalm, uh, verse 2, God is revealed as the creator and maker of the heavens and the earth. All that he creates is good except one thing. The beginning stages of that creation, he stands back and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's a rhythm. And then all of a sudden the rhythm breaks. And the, and the rhythm that breaks it is this, or that what breaks the rhythm is this. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not a mistake. God 
who created everything with such precision and goodness and complexity has not made a mistake all of a sudden by creating man alone. It's a lesson. It's a lesson. And you know the story? God pronounces that man in his loneliness is not good. He puts the man to sleep. He takes from the man's side a what? A rib. And he creates a a woman. And God says, this is what the woman is going to be to the man. In the, old, in the language of the old King Jimmy, she is a what? A help meet. She is the help that comes into his life. The, one of the first lessons in the Bible is that human, human beings were never meant to go it alone. That's why we have churches. That's why we have families. That's why we have friendship in this world in, in, in different fraternal uh, types of ways. And we, we, have, we have these ways of relating with each other that makes life easier. But when we do hit that trouble, it brings up all kinds of options. So what is the option above all the options? With the help that we need to get through this life, because it is dangerous and sometimes a scary place. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from whom? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here's the question, though. Why does he look to the mountains as he asks the question, where does my help come from? It could be that it's a high place and maybe he would find safety away from his enemies if he was up high and could see them come, coming. Maybe it's the beauty of the mountain that somehow gives him some resolve. It could be all of these things. I don't think it's any of that. I think it's something else. There came a time in Israel where the high places and the mountains were associated with the worship of idols and false gods who offered answers to life and its problems. Jeremiah, in the third chapter, will talk about it where he says, Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and the mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. The mountains offered the idols. One of the commentators, a fellow by the name of Michael Wilcox, says that most of Israel had been exiled then and the land repopulated with foreigners of other religions from all over the Babylonian Empire to such a multicultural society, much like our own. The high places offered answers to problems, remedies for ills, protections, insurances, quick fixes of all sorts. It's what disciples see today as we travel. When in trouble, it comes the cry for help. And we lift our eyes to see innumerable helps promising answers. And in them is a small measure of truth, perhaps. But in the end, they, pre they prove to be not much more than a helmet on a mouse. A look to the mountains only ends in disappointment. We come to the realization, as the psalmist says, that when it comes to this life, verse 2, my help comes from Yahweh. Help comes from the Creator and not creation. And God is described in this unbelievably 
powerful and, 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 and stunning way in this psalm. He is, he is described in a very specific way. God is the guardian who never goes off duty. In verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going now and forevermore. A look to the hills and the high places offered options to the Hebrew like Baal. You'll remember the taunt of Elijah in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. They're having this big contest, Elijah representing God versus the multitude of the priests of Asherah and Baal there on Mount Carmel. And at some point, Elijah in 1 Kings 18 begins to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. God, the psalmist says, does not lightly doze in slumber or fall into deep sleep. He's never off duty. Not only is he not off duty, but he's diligent. Watching over us. Think about how one with guardian responsibilities, like a parent or a grandparent, works in the life of another, a, a little child. He or she prepares the, the child for the road, not the road for the child. Vigilant and diligent. We say when they get ready to take those first steps where there's the danger of falling into a coffee table. Be careful, little one. That's a big step. Or they get ambitious and they will go up and down the stairs. What do we say? Hold my hand. Hold my hand while we go up or down these stairs. And what do the people who have that guardian responsibility say when those little ones go out into the backyard to play? Make sure you put on sunscreen. Make sure you put on the sunscreen because the sun can burn you. Come in out of the sun. You've been out there long enough. Drink some water, have a snack, but get in the shade. Or in the middle of the night, you hear the little one cry out in fear because of a nightmare. A person with that guardian relationship comes into that dark room and sits down or lays down beside that, that child and says, I'm here. It was only a nightmare. It's not real. I'll get the monsters out of the closet. You go back to sleep. Go to sleep. The promise of the psalm is not the promise of a life without perils or without pain. The promise is that on the difficult road to God, He will not allow anything to overtake us. He won't. The same kind of sentiment is found over in the New Testament. Paul will not use the word overtake us. He will use the word separate us. He says in Romans chapter 8, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God. 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? The answer is always the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, when it comes to these ships, all the water in the world can't sink a ship unless the water gets into the ship. And the promise of the psalm is that the Lord will keep you from literally all evil. That none of the troubles of this world will harm you unless you allow the trouble to get inside of you. And one of the things that we have today that the psalmist didn't have is an assurance. We think about our salvation as this gigantic thing, and it is. For most of us, we're very, very in tune with the kind of life that we lived before we gave ourselves to God through Christ in faith and trust. And we realize that that there was a tremendous sacrifice that was made on the part of heaven in order for people like you and me to be able to call God Father and to call each other brother and sister. And our focus, our focus is on the end, which is where it ought to be, but there's so much life between now and then. And sometimes where we get jammed up is in living every day. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that. He said, listen, at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation for anyone that's in Christ Jesus. But know this, but know this. If Christ, if, if God met your biggest, deepest, scariest, most terrifying need with Christ, his son, the one that he loved, the one that is unique, the one in which there is nothing and, and there never will be anything like him, what then will he withhold from you if he has already given you the most important thing? That every day, not only at the end, but every day there is a presence and a power that is available to you that not only is in the end going to bring you into God's presence without any fear whatsoever, but that you can live every day in the presence of of the things that terrify us and make us afraid and not have to be because there's a guardian who is never off duty and is vigilant and diligent and with his people. The answer to the question, is the universe icy and cold and hostile to human beings? The answer for so many people in our world is yes. But brother and sister, it's not for us. The answer is that the universe is not big enough to contain the goodness and the love and the graciousness and the compassion and the forgiveness and, and, the, and the providence of God who is that guardian, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who watches. He never sleeps. He never slumbers, but he watches over our life. Your foot will not slip. Sun's not going to harm you as you travel to God, nor the moon. And he will keep the evil out. How? Because he took all of your sin and he put it on his son in order for us to get the son's righteousness. 
You know, there's an old saying that people attribute to the Bible sometimes, that God helps those who what? It's a lie. <laughs> First of all, it's not in the Bible. And the truth of the matter is, God helps those who recognize that they were never meant to travel alone and look, look for help from the guardian who never goes off duty, who watches over their soul and keeps the evil out. Maybe you've been struggling with some of these things. And maybe you just need the prayers of the congregation to encourage you and, and on your behalf in intercession to God, asking God to bless you and to give you that strength and to help you to look beyond the mountain to the one who made the mountains, the one who towers above the mountains. Or it may be you just realized this morning that right now in life you're nothing more than a mouse with a helmet on. And you're learning little by little by little to minimize the damage when your decisions backfire. That's no way to live, and that's not the way that you and I were meant to live as human beings. Human beings were meant to live in a relationship with their Creator in such a way that even though the world has fallen, and we look forward to that day when, the, when, when heaven and earth meet again in God's heaven, we realize that there is a way to live in this life with him in this world, fallen as it is, in such a way that, th that the help that we need to overcome every obstacle, every turn, every, every pothole is there given to us by God. We're going to have some of our shepherds, our spiritual leaders of our church down here at the front. And if that describes you in a way that you, you want to do something about it this morning, you want to take that helmet off. And not be a mouse, but be a son, be a daughter of God through baptism and confession and repentance. We want you to come down and talk to these men now as we stand and we praise God together. When we walk 